William. Now then, Ray Winston here. The real one. Close enough. Doing a new podcast with me mate Tony. Soprano, that is. Oh, how you doing? Talking all the big stuff. Birds, scraps, films. And of course, men's mental health. With studio guests such as Arch Feminist and Top Broad, Deborah Francis White. And disgraced scumbag comedian, Deborah Laughs. Something for everyone. We're trying to be better men, ain't we, Tony? That's right. We're bad boys done good. Available on YouTube and to download on all good audio platforms. Go on, get off your hands, you dopey c- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Insane in the membrane. Welcome to Insane in the Membrane with me, Rich Wilson, and this week I'm joined by the brilliant comedian Sam Morrison. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. That's good to have you on board. Are you well? Are you good? I am good. Unfortunately, in America, it's morning. I know it's uh, yeah. yeah. So I am, I am, you know, a victim of the time zones. Oh, dude, yeah. What time is it there? It's 10 a.m. Okay, okay. Yeah, but even though everyone's like, yeah, but, you know, up in the morning, do it be like, no, nah, not when you're a comedian. Don't do mornings. Not not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know. Usually, uh, usually I, it is funny to do a podcast in the morning. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, normally you've had a day, you kind of, you've been used to talking to people, you know, your thoughts have kind of aligned and they're in, a, they're in some kind of shape. The first yeah. thing in the morning... I don't know. I my my wife is a morning person, and she's up and singing in the bathroom and doing all this. And I'm like, "Listen, babe, I love you, but I can't." <laughs> Listen, babe. Yeah, <laughs> you're the one for me, but we are different. <laughs> I I can sometimes do that, but if it's emails, I like in the morning. I'm all about the emails. Like I I really yes. my brain like wake up in a creative way usually until the night and then the night i am i feel like i'm i my brain is sort of split it daytime a very type a left brain i don't even remember what the difference between those is but <laughs> left brain or right brain but yeah in the morning i'm very analytical and i feel like in the evening i'm very creative i've also never said this out loud so i guess we're going to test the theory today yeah <laughs> any funny when you get on podcasts and ideas come falling out and you go yeah that must be that must I be know. how i think <laughs> i know all the time i say things and i'm like wait is that true <laughs> is this just where i'm at at this moment i think that's it that's where i'm at at this moment in time this is what i believe 
this is my process. This is what I do. Uh, and then later on, when I'm actually doing what I'm doing, I'm like, oh, no, that was bollocks. <laughs> that was complete yeah. rubbish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll say things. I mean, I feel like it, we all probably do, but I'll say things all the time. And then I finish the sentence and be like, did I just make that up? Yeah, I do. I do that all the time. I'm like, I don't think this at all. Why am I saying this? I don't know if it's kind of a, might be a defense thing when I'm trying to ingratiate my per myself with the person I'm talking to. Yeah. It's like a defense thing. You're kind of, you're trying to, I don't know, maybe there's a, like a primal urge to kind of, um, kind of deflate any kind of animosity or kind of attack. Do you know what I mean? You kind of like, you become the person you're talking to in a way. Yeah, you want to connect. Yeah. And it, maybe we're just scared that there will be this awkward pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep going. But that's interesting that you really... I like that you made it evolutionary. I think it must be. I think I can't... We can't be the only people... I can't be the only person that listens to themselves talking and go, I don't... That's Where is this coming from? <laughs> I, don't, I don't do it all the time. But every now and again, I'll catch myself and go, really? When was this? <laughs> I know. I'll do it. In the, I'll, I'll stop in the middle of a sentence and say, especially when I'm on stage, because um, I think sometimes it can be funny, but I'll stop in the middle of a sentence and like say, is that true? Or do I believe that? If I'm like improvising or doing mm. that work. Um, yeah. I know what you mean. I kind of, my brain, yeah, my brain, especially in the middle when you're, especially when you're on stage and you're in, and your 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 brain just all this stuff just tumbling out of your head and then you just, yeah. I think then I have to kind of go, yeah, this is just me trying to be funny and I'm just throwing well, anything out. Well, there's this nice pressure to like move forward. It's the same thing in a podcast, but I feel like it's a little more intense on stage where like you do have to keep. I feel like I'm so overly analytical. I'm usually not as free with my thoughts i'll usually yeah. say things if i've like you know thought them out and made sure that i believe them and they are you know they make sense yeah um but when you're on stage you have the audience and the lights looking at you you don't have time to do that so you just things just start pouring out yeah, um, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's, you know it's the same with the podcast in a in a, in a, a less uh you know uh there's less pressure to move forward, but it is, you know, there's other people listening to us. And when you start <laughs> thinking about that, you can kind of get in your head and you want to keep the conversation moving forward. Yeah. Maybe yeah. something <laughs> not untrue, but it's the first thing. It's at the tip of your mind. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's an element of that. I think, yeah. Do you know what? Sometimes I forget that people listen to this. Yeah. And I say, oh, yeah. How many people are listening to me? <laughs> yeah. If I really thought about it, I'd shit myself. It's just, uh, right. It, exactly. it, I wouldn't do it. So it, now I'm like, now my brain's going, oh my God, all those people. This is all good. So where in America are you, Sam? I'm in New York City. Nice. Actually, in the city. Uh, yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, oh, wow. Called Greenpoint. I got a week, but I uh, I love living here. Yeah, Brooklyn's cool. Has is, is it become very gentrified over the last... The last time I was there was 2011. I think it just started to gentrify then. Oh, yeah. It's been on a nice upswing for I don't know how many years, but certainly before 2011. Mm, yeah. 
very cool place. It's, uh, it's, I remember, yeah, just wandering around Brooklyn. Because like, to me, and I've said this before to people, we've had guests on from the States. When we go to America, because we grew up watching the movies, it feels like we're on a, mu a movie set to us. Like walking oh, around like, oh my God, like the steam coming out of the ground and the cabs going by and you're like, oh my God, it's amazing. Really? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, my experience, That's and people I've spoken to, and there was one time I was walking down to the Ha Comedy Club uh, from, from Times Square and Al Pacino was still on the street on his phone. So it felt, you know, pretty Hollywood to me. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we obviously have the opposite experience. But yeah, of course. Us, that makes sense because, you know, like when I go to the UK, there's castles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that is very movie-like. <laughs> and you're like going in the subway feels like a movie. And I'm yeah. like, you got it backwards. <laughs> we the don't even go to the castles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're coming from a land where you have a king and you think that we live in the world that's made up? Yeah, no. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, this, this, I remember uh, comedian Tom Rhodes coming over and he goes, it just feels like... You know, like at any moment, it's going to be a giant that's going to squash your village. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> well, that's what the BFG was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so com comedy. When did you get started in comedy? I got started. Um, wow, almost six years ago. Right. Okay. Hold on. Let me do that thing where I stop halfway through and cool. then about it. <laughs> yeah. Really, May first, twenty seventeen. So that's wow. that's almost exactly six years. Man, what got you started? What was the what was the thing that what was the catalyst that made you go? Yeah, I'm going to do this. I got. I really change my answer every time someone asks me this. Um, you know, I think I was just I, I tried it in college a couple times. Mm. Um, at like I performed at university, and then over the summer I got to come uh, to New York, and I did some open mics then. And so I knew I really wanted to like try it out. Um, in a, in a sort of more real way than I was doing in college. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was any particular moment. I, di I didn't really come in being like, I'm going to be a professional comedian. I didn't know that was like an option really. Yeah. I just got addicted to open mics and I just kept doing them. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Once you, once you've done it once, I've said this before, once you've done it once, you know whether you want to do it again. They're just some, whether it went good, whether it went badly, there's a switch that flicks on and you just go, yes, I want to do this again. And then you just get straight away. You're caught up in it, in the, in the workings of the comedy world. You're just looking for that next gig. And then you'll be at some gig and then someone else will go, oh, come and do this gig or contact this person. And before you know it, it's snowballed and you're just, you're just running around gigging all the time. Yeah. Especially in New York, mics are so accessible. You mm. can do, I mean... There were nights I did like six, seven mics a night. Wow. Did that every night for every night of the week. They really get addictive because you you do poorly and you're like, ah, yeah, I'm, be I'm better than that. I got to try again. I, I got to get this joke to work. I believe in this joke. Or you do well and you're like, that was the best feeling in the world. Yeah, man. Yeah. And is there still in – I know when I was in the States – Especially in New York, it seems to be, I don't know if it's changed now, but it was like, if you were playing this club, they didn't like it. If you were playing that club, I know there was a kind of, 
there was the ha, and it was a bit funny with Stand Up New York and wherever else it was. They were a bit like, yeah, is there still a bit of that sort of territorial thing? I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it is, but just with a few clubs now. Right. Um, I know that like the, the clubs on McDougal don't really like that mm. um, because they're all on like the same street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That makes sense. But I don't think any of the other ones, I mean, certainly not. I mean, I've never performed at any of those other clubs, Stand Up New York, mm. Broadway Comedy Club, uh, The Stand, New York Comedy Club. They've never been competitive with each other. And in right. fact, I think pretty supportive of each other. That's cool. Yeah, that's nice. Because it, when, it when I was there and I was like, oh, that seems a bit... Surely you should be, like you say, supporting each other, helping each other out, like, you know, and it's good for the comedy, right. it's good for the community. Everyone's doing things and it sort of brings everyone together. But, uh, yeah, because you don't really get that, you know, don't, really, don't really get that in London. It's kind of, there is, if you go out of London in, like, if you go to Sheffield, and normally it's because the other club has opened after the other one and it's too close. Mm. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of that, you know, like, you know, like, treading on each other's toes a little bit. So... I understand that, but I've been caught up in a few of those where I've, they've gone, they've gone like, can you come and play my gig? I'm like, no, I can't because I play this one. Yeah. I don't want to get in them. They've been really good to me. I don't want to be a prick, but it just, yeah, gets a bit exhausting. I always find it funny. Um, I don't know if I should talk about, but there's like those gigs where you, you play a gig and then in the contract is like, you can't play another gig in this like 60 mile radius for a year or something like that. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. And that always seemed hilarious to me. Like, I, I promise you me playing in a town 40 miles over seven months after <laughs> is not going to affect this show. Nah, exactly. Is that, yeah. But all these things do, it kind of plays on my mind a little bit. I love comedy and I love doing what we do. But sometimes some of the stuff behind the scenes fucks me up a little bit. And, it may, and it's like, I'm not just saying just that, but other stuff. And it's just... You know, you when you get into this, you just think everyone's mates and we all get on and we're all running around making people laugh. And it's one big party, but really, when you get into it, it's quite stressful. Really, trying to oh, put yeah. the gigs, get to the gigs, get paid. Yeah, others. Um, and the more your dreams come true, the worse it gets. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The more, uh, kind of business you have to learn and understand and like very quickly master and the more pressure that there is. Um, and I think that's why probably you, you hear like the biggest comedians talk on podcasts and they were like, the glory days was when me and my friends were just, you know, miking in New York two years into comedy. Um, and of course that doesn't make sense to probably most people, but it's probably because of what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And it's funny, I didn't really come through with anybody. So when I hear, like the other day I was listening to Tom Papa and Patton Oswalt, and they were talking about who they were gigging with. Like Tom Papa was saying, like when he came through from Boston and all that, and who he was with, and it was really interesting. But I didn't really have that. I kind of sort of, I sort of came through and missed out the open mic circuit because I was emceeing already. So, uh -huh. so I kind of feel, there's a few people that started at the same time, but we weren't really... It wasn't like this body of comedians coming through together, in my experience anyway. So I don't know if that was the same with you. Oh, that happens with... Yeah, I started in New York. Mm. And uh, I feel like most comedians... I don't know. Starting in New York, I don't think... I think most comedians would agree is not the best idea. 
Right. Um, it's just a tough city to start. And then there are these comics that, especially, they come in from Chicago, and there's this great Chicago community in New York. Yeah. And they come in with the, already this community, and they already have these friends, and they're already getting booked on all these shows. Of course, they put in all the time and hard work to do it in Chicago, but I, I just... I'm so jealous of that. I wish I had that starting out because it, it really was and still is in many ways such a lonely profession. Oh, uh, you find your people quickly, that is, oh, that is gold. Yeah. Especially, I mean, Chicago seems to be, the, I mean, it's the home of improv, mm-hmm. as I'm aware. And so there's always been a big, a, a really rich comedic vein running through Chicago. Mm-hmm. Which is really unlike a lot of other places. I don't really know of anywhere else where it's got that that history. Really, it is interesting because of the. I think yeah, Second City is probably the most well known improv thing in the country, and it's in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't really know of anywhere else it's got that. It's it's a really interesting thing. I, one day I'll get to go to Chicago. I've made. It, I want to go just to see. You know, just to yeah, it's another city that you can get up a lot. I yeah. think I've learned. I mean, I've only been there. I was just there this past weekend, um, and then before that, I've only been there once. Yeah, I've only been there once. But it seems like there's a good like. I feel like you really need a couple different audiences when you're starting out. You need like the alt scene and the like more clubby scene, and Definitely. you know various different scenes to to like find your voice and see where you fit. And I feel like Chicago has that yeah 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 Whereas definitely probably most cities it's it's just there's not enough gigs in general to you know it's like this yeah. is the main club and then you have a, a maybe a main alt room um but chicago seems to have these like nice pockets and yeah, everyone's be nicer than yeah. in New- <laughs> not as cutthroat do you reckon it's a bit like london it's a bit more yeah, I think the thing, like, the thing with big cities, it, like, they don't care if you can keep up with them. Not just comedy. I mean, in general, if you live in a big city, it, it it's like this is the speed of the city. This is how it operates, and you either keep up with it or you fuck off. It's right. just, there's no time for you unless you keep up with it, you know. Or you can build your own thing and go at your own pace if that's successful. But mm-hmm. otherwise, the scene just barrels forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is. How- this, yeah. How, how friendly is London, would you say, to like someone just starting out? I think it's great. I do believe, even though, like I say, it's a, because it's a big city, so there's a, there's a, there's a more of a cutthroat feel to it, I guess. But on the whole, everyone, mo- most people in our, in our industry, in, in, this, in the UK, have always been pretty cool. You know, everybody knows who the arseholes are. Yeah. So, so you kind of know to avoid them, and they kind of get outed and pushed out pretty pretty if not pretty quickly but in eventually but everyone's pretty cool everyone's pretty helpful um but i found that as well when i was in new york and, and then going up upstate going to poughkeepsie and doing, doing bananas and then out to stanford and i did the tree house i think it was and everyone was really cool everyone was like really pleased that you were there and helpful and yeah speak to this guy get hold of this dude and do that and do that so i think most people in most places in our in our industry are pretty cool you know, and I think the public, the public, if you're from elsewhere, I think, I think if you're funny, they'll, they'll, they'll accept you. It's if you're not, then they'll go, they'll let you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great to hear. I'm glad you had yeah. such a experience. I, I found that as a traveling comedian, people I think are a lot nicer to you. 
when you are from out of town. Mm. Yeah. Um, and maybe, I don't know. It's also like when you, I think when you're, I think that where the, I got the brunt uh, where I'm like talking negatively about New York is when you start out as an open micer and really people just don't look you in the eyes. <laughs> and yeah. you, know, you go to the mics and nobody laughs at you just because they don't know who you are. And it's, it's kind of brutal. But of course, I mean, the, the more you kind of go up the ranks, like the nicer people get, I think. Yeah, true. I mean, once they've seen that you can actually do it, when you're starting out and you're, you know, you're green and, and you do all right, but you don't do great or whatever, you just don't know anybody. And yeah, it takes a while. But I think it's that, that's that moment when you walk into agreement and people go, hey, good to see you, man. How you doing? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is what they talked about. This is it now. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, just, just basic human respect. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going for. That's it. Yeah. I mean, there are so many easier ways to achieve. Like, some part of me is like, did I just start doing an activity, realize I was on the outside of the cool kid circle, and then put in all this hard work to get in the cool kid circle? <laughs> I don't think that was an impulse for how hard I've worked. Yeah, well, it's like it's, it just reminds me of school all the time. Oh, that the kind of pecking order, and you know who who's what, who are the cool kids, who are the nerds, who are this, who are that. But it's, like it's, like school, I was I was sort of friends of everybody, so hmm. you know, it, just like in school, I rode a rolly backpack. So, <laughs> did you double strap? <laughs> What does that mean? Well, it's in um, Twenty One Jump uh, Jump Street when uh, in the remake when they went into the school, and he's got um, and uh, he's got he's got his bag over his shoulder, and everyone else, uh, everyone else in the school, they've got both straps on with their backpack, <laughs> and he's like, "You double strapping on the fuck?" It's like, yeah, that's what we do. It makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to drop it. It's just, <laughs> yeah, just things like that make me laugh, man. But uh, it's glad to. I'm glad that we could, we're back out. And we're able to travel now. We're getting out there again after everything that's gone on. And it's been a it's been a tricky time. It's been it was a, certainly a tricky time for you, in the with the pandemic and the lockdown. And you you sadly lost your partner. And that I when I was reading I was reading that and I was like fuck man, because I really I didn't I, we all got we were all ill and we all we all had it at one point or another. But I wasn't really affected. I didn't, like nobody passed away that I knew. So I know people that know people that did. And so to be affected on that level must have been, it must have been hard. Like, how do you, how do you cope with that after the aftermath of that? I mean, honestly, I couldn't tell you. No. I didn't have any good coping mechanisms. No. It's just, it's just brutal. Yeah. And it, yeah. And yeah. I mean, it, it was because that's the thing I'm you know like when someone's I've said this before when someone's old it's kind of like you know when they get to the end of their time you kind of go oh well you know it's sad and they won't be here but you know that it's it's just that's how life is but to be taken away at that age and someone that you love and expected to be together with a lot longer than that that's something I can't I can't comprehend that how that must how you I guess we've like we've we've talked about grief on here before, 
And you don't, what a lot of people have said is that you don't, the grief doesn't go away. You just get used to, you work out how to carry it around. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's definitely true. That was really helpful for me. There was this image that I saw that, um, you know, for the most part, well, I feel like at different times I was more open to like grief theory or like, you know, there's a lot of like textbook stuff on grief that I really hated, uh, especially when I first started going through it. But of course, as time has gone on, found it to be really helpful. But there was a certain, the, so there was a, a circle and then right on the outside of that circle was another larger circle. And then they said the inside circle is your grief. And as time moves on, the outside circle gets bigger, but the inside circle stays the same size. Right. It's not that the grief has changed. It's just that your life has gotten bigger and you've learned how to like, just like you said, carry forward sort of with it rather than like move forward from it. Yeah. And that's really been, cause it doesn't change. I mean, it does your relationship with it changes. Mm. Yeah. That's it. It's just, it, it's, it's, and especially with something that we didn't see coming as well. Like with the, you know one minute we were all running around we were doing whatever and then we heard this we were like oh there's this big there's this bug coming everyone's got to be a bit careful and we'd all and we'd had this before so we all kind of went oh, yeah i'm sure that's nothing i'm sure that's just the, the the news just making something bigger than it really is and then when it hit and i remember when the first time and i my partner at the time was away work she was away gigging and then they were like, "Listen, well, you need to, you need to." The, the gig got pulled. Her gig got pulled that night. And then uh, she was, she rang me and she went, I, "I'm in, I'm in Newcastle. We need to get back to, back to you. Uh, they've pulled the gig. Uh, what should I do?" I'm like, "Run to the station. Run to the station." And then she got the train and was coming back. And I'm like, "She goes, well, I'll get to London, but I can't get back to because we lived out of London. It was like a, you know, an hour and a half or whatever is in the car." And I'm like, "Look, just if you just get to London, I'll come and get you." And then. And when I think back to that now, I'm like, fuck, what a fucked up time. That it was a real, like, it was like the movies. All of a sudden it was like, shit, we need to, it was, you could feel everything starting to lock down, like around you. It's like Indiana Jones running across the rope bridge and it's dropping away behind him as he's running across the, the cat, the, the, you know, the, the, the cliff face. And it was just. And thank you for that metaphor. Cause I, <laughs> that really helped. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I've ever seen Indiana Jones. No, no, I'm sorry. Ah, uh, yeah. Do you know how old are you? May I ask? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I totally get that. I forget. It's like it's, my sons are thirty-one and twenty-five. So, you know, yes. There's sometimes I say, like yesterday, my son messaged me and went, Dad. Have you heard about this band called Yes? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I have. He went, oh my god! He goes, where? I goes, where was this before? And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, you're still discovering stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a funny way to say it. Oh yeah. shit, you're still discovering stuff. You know? Yeah, I forget, I forget because yeah. So when and then so what my, you what? Sorry, what a gift though. How old are you? May I ask? I'm 51. Well. You and you have discovered everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing left. You done now. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> but my well, wife, my wife, when I say, oh, like, she hasn't seen Jaws. She hasn't seen, oops. there's loads of stuff she hasn't seen. And I go, what? Come on, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, now I'm doing the same thing, and I feel like an old queen because these kids don't know what Full House was or something, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I can't. I, yeah, I guess I'm starting to have that with the younger generation where they don't, they don't know things. I mean, then there's like all, all there are the all these TikToks that show like generational differences between like a 28 year old and a 21 year old, which shouldn't be that different, but because of the internet. Our like cultural references are constantly switching so much mm. that it is like I mean I perform at a lot of colleges and boy this generation is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> really? Still? I thought you I thought you guys had it sorted. I thought you were sussed. I thought you were like, yeah, we're not gonna listen to those old pricks. We're gonna we got it, we got it together. We know what we're doing. Well, I guess I don't um, when I hear most comedians talk, complain about doing colleges, I think it's mostly like, oh, they're too sensitive or you can't talk about this, but I've never had that issue. Right? No, I've never experienced that. Yeah. I don't know what that, I've never, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually talked to, I do like a lot of colleges. Right. Um, and I don't know if I've ever, no, there's been like one, there's been a couple colleges that have like censored what I could say, but that was because they were like a Baptist college and the minister was there or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never, and I've never had like a sensitivity issue. I don't know what that is. I'm more talking about like, um, they're just, uh, they're just worse audience because they are on their phones and they are, you have to like, work harder they're not as generous with their outside laughter yeah. you're like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know it's true actually do you know, so last week there was a couple in the front row and they were very young they were at uni nine what were they 19 and i got chatting to them there weren't many in the audience and so i ended up i could talk to everybody and i was talking to them and and no they and they were really switched on and they really got it and they were and i was we had a back and forth about it and they went yeah and they were like yeah but you know we're a bit younger and now and we're sat in a comedy club and we're watching you know we we feel exposed and this is how they were saying they go we feel exposed so we don't know whether to laugh or not we don't know whether to do the thing and i'm like oh shit yeah you've got you've got things going on it's not just me figuring you out you're figuring me out and yeah it was really interesting Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It is, I'm a little, so I'm, you know, I'm the first time I'll actually be in London is for my show on May mm. 7th. 
and I've been told that this Soho theater crowd, they can be kind of quiet. They can be, yeah, they can be kind of what, yeah, they will, what they'll be doing is watching the show. And at the end, you'll hear this massive, Rah! and you, you know, standard ovations and they go mad and, oh my God, because we do, they just sort of sit there and they go, yeah, because it's not like a normal comedy club. It's a theater. So they, they see it as a, a lot, a lot of times they treat it like it's a theater. It's so hard for me not to try to get them to the best that they can be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a cultural difference and <sighs> screw it. Let's come off like an elitist New Yorker. I think we're the best people in the world. No, I think, <laughs> I think there is maybe a difference cultural. I don't know if it's true. Call me out here if I'm being, <laughs> but like you guys don't. Like you'll, you'll sit through shows and comedians as I feel like a New York comedian is more likely to, um, like tell the audience they're being a bad audience. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's me. I will do that. And I think, you know, it's part of what the, I guess, part of, the new New York scene, not all like New York comedians do that as well, but I feel like more of us will do that because we have dealt with so many weird crowds and stuff. I don't know what it is, but there does seem like this difference where like, I don't know, like if you're, if you're just bombing and then you, you're doing your show and the audience isn't with you, uh, yeah. like there's two different paths you can take. You can, maintain your poise and and pretend like you're killing and just the idea that like you're not bombing as long as um like you don't lose confidence no. and I a lot of uh truth to that and it will be a good show but the other option is to like dig in and try to ask them why they don't like you and try to figure out what's in the air and and try to get them to teach them how to be a good comedy audience yeah. And I can't do, I can't not do that to try to get them to be the best audience they can be. Yeah, I know what you mean. A little scared to go to London where you're supposed to sort of, or I don't know, maybe specifically Soho Theater, where I'm, and I have this assumption that you're supposed to sort of quietly perform in, <laughs> in a vacuum. Like yeah. I, <laughs> to be honest, though, I, I've heard about this where they go, oh, yeah, watch it like a theater show. But when I did it, it wasn't like that. And I did it coming out of the lockdown. So it was half, so everyone was still divided mm -hmm. up. Everyone was just sat in their bubble in twos and everyone was they had masks on as well. So you're trying to get a response out of people that have got masks. And so you can't see if they're smiling. And all that. But I don't know whether it was because they were aware that they were masked up, you know, they were, and so they were more vocal, letting me know that they were still there and they were still enjoying it. Might have been a bit of that, but it was. They were definitely not. They weren't just sitting there watching it. They were definitely laughing like a proper comedy club. So, I think, I think, yeah, different people, different experiences. But in my experience, I had a really good time. So, and I imagine that you will as well. So, I would put any preconceived ideas or anything anyone said to you, like I've just said that thing to you. Fuck all that. 
just go and enjoy it. Just go and enjoy it. And the, and the more fun you have, the better it'll be. Um, they'll enjoy it as well. They'll feed off that energy. So, yeah, you know. But I mean, but the thing is, the show is about what happened as well, isn't it? It's about your partner. Yeah. And so I read the thing in the Times and he said, like, you managed to find humour in what had happened. And yeah. did that, I mean, how, I mean, did they, was that like an inner kind of fight to kind of like, you know, get through it? I guess humor is, you know, laughter is the best medicine and that sort of thing. Cause it must've been hard to find to such a, for such a harrowing story when you lose a loved one like that to then turn it into a comedy show. That's hard. I think, and this is one of those things that I, I said to a friend and it just sort of came out and then I was like, is that true? I think it might be, mm. but the, the comedy is there. Like this stuff is funny. Yeah. Death. When people die, there's all these weird rules that we have and there's a way that we're supposed to talk about it and think about it and there's a way that people treat you. And there's just so much funny stuff that happens. Yeah. And I think it's less about like turning it into comedy and more about like allowing yourself, sort of like giving yourself permission to see it as comedy. Yeah. Laughing at the there are there are some absurd some absurdities connected to it, to death. And like you say, the rituals that we all have to follow, the way we're supposed to talk about it and be around it. And, you know, yeah. when it looks like when over here, I don't know if they do it in the States, but if someone gets killed on a bicycle, they spray paint a bicycle white and they and they chain it to the railings the, 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 by the by where the person passed away and in that horrible accident. You're like, don't do that. <laughs> don't want to be. I don't want to be remembered at that bit. I get why people do it. They'll put flowers on a on a lamp post where that person was killed, and you're like, I don't know, man. Even the idea of flowers like is funny. Why do Why do we give someone flowers? Yeah, yeah. With they their just, name, you know, flowers do one thing: they die. <laughs> Especially when you pick them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i killed someone else does that make you feel better <laughs> yeah someone else died these are dying yeah sorry for your loss these will die soon now you've got something else you need to tidy up as well oh so you'll die soon we're all yeah, yeah, anyway <laughs> remind you that it's all gonna end, so everything fine. yeah everything's rotting away we're all dying as we speak yeah. we're all dying it's beautiful now, but it won't be in 24 hours. Yeah. So anyway, sorry for your loss. <laughs> sorry for your loss, but only for the next 24 hours. <laughs> and then yeah. these will remind you of what's actually happened. So anyway, yeah. bye. <laughs> but you must think as well, it's not when you, because I know other people that have written shows when they've lost loved ones and and they talk about, the fact that that person would have been absolutely okay with you doing this show as well. They would have kind of gone, yeah, I, I know if someone was to do it about me, I'd be like, yeah, fucking do your worst. You know, it would have been, and I think people would know that. They go, yeah, Rich would have been all right with this. Was that the same with you? I mean, I have this conversation in my head with Jonathan all the time. Yeah. Uh, but he just, um, was so supportive of me. Yeah. And I just know he would be so proud of me. 
um, he just had that, he just gave me that kind of unconditional love and support. Yeah. And I'm, I, I feel lucky to have that and feel that still no matter what happens with this show or my career or whatever. Mm. So that's, that's what I mean. Isn't it a beautiful thing that, like I said, like people kind of focus on the end bit. Like I say, like with the bicycle chain to the railings and things like that, but you're like to focus on what that person gave you when they were here, like that love and support. And you just knew that they were just, they were just, they just believed in you. It's such a, it's such a wonderful thing that, some people don't even get that in their life. You know, they don't meet that. They don't meet those people. I've been very fortunate to meet so many people like that that have been always been supportive, and and I've not always, I've not always recognised it at the time. I've kind of, I've been too busy on my own path and always moving forward. And then it's not to look back. And go, oh, fuck yeah, that person was amazing, and I should have been more careful with that relationship. And I guess this is the thing with Jonathan. It's like a beautiful thing that you met in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. A wonderful thing. And I think that's that's how people should be remembered. It's like the like that like that is that so supportive, so kind, so loving and and whatever you do going forward, you know that somewhere Jonathan is going to be like, fuck, look at him go, man. What what Do you know what I mean? It's lovely to in to to carry on and be successful in their name. I think it's a really beautiful thing. And that's a more fitting tribute than nailing their bike to a railing. And, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Where did you meet, Jonathan? Uh, at this festival called Spooky Bear in Town. I've got the props with me. <laughs> you know what bears are? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would be classed as a bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to, uh, or I still do, perform at the, these bear festivals in P-Town. Okay. Um, so we met at this one called Spooky Bear, which is a uh, Halloween version of the Gay Bear Festival in P-Town. So. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know there was a whole festival devoted to that. Um, bears or Halloween? Bears. <laughs> no, yeah, you have no idea. There is a whole world. It is the mo- So P-Town is this big tourist spot, and there are a, a bunch of different weeks of like theme weeks there's i don't know i can't list them all but bears is the most popular one by far i mean the bear community i think it's bigger than people realize it's huge really i have no idea and this i wonder why that is why because i get it all the time i get it every time i meet i meet people and they just go oh yeah you'd be a great bear (laughs) oh thank you very much (laughs) yeah yeah i like that they say you would be yeah well, <laughs> well having had experiences i mean you know not many i've had i had i had a couple when i was a bit younger that like i've talked i've talked about in my shows and things like that when i worked in a, i worked in a gay sauna and uh and i oh. know, yeah 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 years ago and um yeah, yeah. I, I had experiences and uh it was like but it really it made me kind of go oh yeah i'm not i'm i'm straight but i had a good time Sure. Not knocking it, but uh, yeah, it's just um, I yeah, but I didn't I didn't know there was a whole festival and the whole world devoted to that. That's maybe that's where I'm missing out. I mean, 
Come on over to P Town. There we go. I'll show you. Spooky Bear is fun. Because, yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, they people go all out with the costumes. And, you know, P Town is obviously such a special place for me because that's where I met Jonathan. So yeah. I try to go back as much as I can. And what's P Town? What is it? What is that? Oh, I'm sorry. P Town is the abbreviation for Provincetown. Oh, right. Okay. It's, I didn't it's know off that. the coast of Boston. Right, 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 right. Okay, right. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, um, no, that's all right. Uh, I mean, as a younger dude as well, is it different now? I know this has been talked about before. I know that, uh, you know, people, relatives of mine who were gay, but couldn't, they couldn't come out because it was illegal in this country way back, way back when. And then obviously over the years, it's become easier and easier for people to be more open about their sexuality has that been the same has that been for you as a younger dude was it easier for you to just come out and go this is who i am yeah i mean i grew up in when i grew up in florida i was closeted and i didn't tell anyone right and i don't think if i went if i came out and went to soccer practice the next day i would have been fag bashed no. Um, but I, you know, there was still a lot of just work to be done. Um, yeah. I don't think there was anyone out in my high school. Uh, there wasn't many examples of, of, you know, positive gay role models. Um, although there was modern family on TV and that was huge. Right. Uh, yeah. That was I think when I was in high school and I, you know, I was obsessed with Glee too. Um, but you know, and then I went to college and college was very liberal and very, uh, you know, accepting. And, um, yeah, I mean, basically I, I slowly came out to like different people, but I mostly just like downloaded grinder and uploaded a face pic, which to me was the easiest way to come out because you just let those Queens talk. <laughs> well we'll let them know for you yeah 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 but i'm pretty sure um it's about to be illegal again soon so fuck that'll in be... the states yeah things are going the wrong direction yes well they just they were talking about this this morning actually my missus and we were like the laws that they're bringing in now and the fact that they're so obsessed with god and jesus Again, like, see, I know it's always been there, but now it just seems like people in positions of power are now back talking about that shit. And you're like, what are you saying? You know what? I just heard this. I'm really uneducated on this topic, but there was a guy who was talking about him leaving the church and how there's been this like huge exodus from, I don't remember which sect, but just, I guess, Christianity in the past three, four years. Right. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I feel like religious fervor is, yeah. is gaining traction. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like this obsession with how other people should and shouldn't live their lives. Like they're taking away more women's rights now and the abortion things that they're bringing in and the anti-abortion things that they're bringing in. And as you've just said, like people's sexuality is suddenly a problem again. And you're like, what the fuck is this? It doesn't... And the, the irony that the people that are bringing in these laws are gay, but closeted. And that's the issue. It, it just... like What the fuck is going on with people? Why can't we just... It doesn't affect... your People's sexuality doesn't affect you. 
in any way, shape or form. Yet, here we are. And I don't get it. Is it a power thing? I don't know. And then when they're closeted, I like feel bad for them. And yeah. I just want to you. <laughs> Let's just be straight so I can be like, you piece of, but no, I don't know. Uh, if you're closeted and you're creating homophobic laws, I still hate you. Let me make that clear. Yeah. But there's like a small part of me that's like, oh, sweetie, just <laughs> just suck a dick. Just suck do it. Suck a fucking dick. Just suck a dick. It'll suck uh, a lot. I mean. It, honestly, for years, after after the experiences I'd had, and I was a bit, I was a bit weird about it, only because I didn't know, I didn't know how to tell friends and people like that and like you know like properly straight like men you know and and but now i've told talked about it in my show and the whole the whole bit has become a massive bit now and people people love it and it and it, i've had people come up to me going oh man it's so good to hear someone like you talk about these things because i was a bit worried i experienced this thing with my best friend and you're like yeah just talk about it it's one of the most liberating things i've ever done one yeah. doing it and two, talking about it, it was, it was it was a great experience to have. I think it's a. It's also I think there's a um, when you are one of these like hyper masculine guys. I think they are more likely to listen to someone like you than someone like me who's talking about you know their sexuality and exploring their sexuality and how it's okay to do that stuff. Um, just because, um, I don't know. I used to do this. Oh, well, you know, ha, I think Ha used to be mentioned Ha Comedy Club in yeah. New York. I think it's LOL now. Oh, okay. Right. And, um, the audiences there are just so homophobic. <laughs> really? Yeah, they're terrible. And still to this day, I mean, it's all conservatives. And actually, they changed the room. Apparently, the the new room is less homophobic, but I haven't done it in years. Um, but the, there would be comedians that would go up and do these jokes about doing gay stuff. Mm. And they would kill. A kill, I, you, we have different, kill means good. No, kill means good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that over here. Yeah. Kill, crush. I yeah. Before, like I was dying and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Are you like, that's a little intense, but bombing, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, but they would do these jokes about, you know, almost being attracted to a guy or almost sucking a guy's dick. And it would, the audience would be laughing sort of for the wrong reasons. And you know that because I would go up and do a joke about sucking a guy's dick and it wouldn't work because I'm gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, of course I'm not saying that, like, your joke, I, I, it's because it's because of that I'm saying your joke sounds so fantastic. Because I think it has that sort of opportunity to reach the people that will only laugh at a gay joke for the wrong reasons but for the right reasons, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally get it. Yeah, if you can kind of make fun of that Im that homophobic impulse rather than the act. Yeah. Then, well, although I've yeah. never seen this joke, and I have no idea what you're talking about. No, but it's but, but I, people always describe me as that. They always say I'm a bit of a I'm a geezer. That's what they say. They say like you're this you're this like atypical heterosexual you know, dude. 
you know, I have. I've done the jobs. I've been a builder and a van driver and all these sorts of things. A proper masculine. So to hear me talking about the fact that a dude paid me to suck my dick and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And he paid me because he knew because the story, as it transpires, he knew everybody in the gay sort of knew I was straight, but I was pretending to be gay because my friend who got me the job said, don't tell him that you're straight. He just just did. And I'm like, oh, fuck, man. There's so so much questions I have. Yeah. And it was great. And so and to, I'm like, and so now I just say, look, if you can, if you, if someone wants to suck your dick, let them suck your dick. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, bearing in mind, well, it depends where you are, but. Uh, well, did you say he paid you to suck your own he, dick? He paid me to suck, he sucked my penis and he paid. Oh, he sucked your penis. Yeah, and he paid me to well, do it. What you said it. was, he, he paid me to suck my own dick. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever fetish that is. Imagine. That, hilarious and expensive <laughs> i genuinely i don't think there's enough money in the world that would i would that would make me be able to suck my own dick <laughs> i'd give it a go but i think i'm a bit chunky around the middle i haven't got that flexibility no i wouldn't be able to do it i'd fucking go on a diet though let's, let's both try right now yeah yeah, yeah let's do it ready oh. right if, i can't i'm not flexible enough <laughs> mind you i'm 51 i just get my balls in my face <laughs> it just be, it just be, I just be, I'd suffocate under my own bag. <laughs> You're gonna, Jesus Christ. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Anyway, you'll uh, you'll do fine in Bear Week. You could probably do shows at Bear Week because people will come. I mean, you yeah. Know. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, you can get into this market. There's I money think. Do you know what? I think as I, as I get older, and I become less uh, restricted, maybe. Not restricted. What's the word? I don't know. But yeah, I'll come up and do the shows. I'd love that. Yeah, I'd have a great time. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I th- I, do you know what? I think this is... The, I was talking about this ages ago. Because I was talking about uh, pronouns and things like that. And I remember talking to someone and I said, surely it should be, it'd be a nicer place to be if we didn't have labels. We didn't have you know, they, them, he, the, he, she, whatever. Be a nice place. You know, even sexuality is like... You're just people with other people. I think that would be a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah, just I mean, it's grooving it's into a, each other. I I wish we had that world. I mean, it's obviously not the world that we have, so we kind of have to create these. You know, these identities are very meaningful for a lot of people. At but, least, yeah, yeah, yeah. In an ideal world, like we're all we're all. I feel like we're all working towards that. Yes, I think well, I think most I of us are. Yeah. That that's like the ultimate. Just a place, you know, yeah. These signifiers aren't the most important thing in the world. At least I, yeah. I think so. I just think it'd be nice if we got to a point where sexuality just didn't. It wasn't a thing. It didn't matter. It was kind of, you know, you were with. You were just having a nice relationship if you wanted to with. Whoever from with who you know, they were non-binary or they were gay or straight or whatever, and but we just kind of just blended in and we were just kind of like, yeah, everyone's just having a nice time with each other. I'm gonna quote some gay history that I'm remembering, but I'm probably gonna butcher. So okay. fact me. Cool. But the I'm pretty sure. Well, in the 1800s, men would it would be like commonplace for them to sleep in the same bed and cuddle 
and hold hands, maybe kiss in certain circumstances. Mm. Um, and it was just because like homosexuality wasn't a thing that was really right. talked about. Okay. So homophobia wasn't a thing. So like there wasn't this, you know, like we think of hyper-masculine men as not like wanting to hug and touch other men all the time. But like, that's how it used to be before homophobia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. What a better place to be. It is interesting how like we build these categories and, and then we have to react to how people react to them. And, you know, it'd be great. It would be great if everyone was just perfectly. Perfectly in tune with everybody else. But I think it does. I think when you look down through the ages, there's been phases of that where men were more openly you know, into each other and, and doing all these things. And then, it, and then wherever happens in society, things shut down again. And then they yeah. shut down for a while. And then we prize them open again. And then I think it's just, it's just human nature, isn't it? I think we just, we just, we've always done that. For however, however long we've been on this planet, we just kind of like, we open and we close and we open and we close. And now at the moment, we're all closing down again for whatever reason. But hopefully we can keep, well, hopefully we can prize it open again. More, sooner than later, maybe. I mean, if only these drag queens would stop having sex with children. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. One of the most beautiful things I've seen. I was in New Zealand. I was in Auckland. And they had this big like street festival thing. And we were walking through. And there was a, a soccer match happening. And it was, it was um, children and, and drag queens. In full drag. Heels. Everything. Playing soccer with the kids and it was fucking amazing it was amazing that's the that's like logistically had us in heels i don't yeah they were and they were killing as well they were absolutely killing and i was just stood there with my friend amy and we were going this is the most surreal slash beautiful thing i've ever seen i would say athletic that sounds like the most athletic These are pioneers, and and they're getting they're getting blamed and shut down. They're getting shut down. And you go, no, no, no. More people should be. We should have more drag queens in places doing things. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, honestly, like we have a lot of niche sports leagues now. Drag queens playing oh, any sport? Yes. Imagine. Like really, really playing, really competing with each other. Yes, that, I think that would be. I think RuPaul needs to have another, another TV show because she doesn't have enough. <laughs> it like if it was drag queens in full drag playing football, these poor queens. You know, the reason I can never do drag is just because. You know, we we if we have a gig at seven, we start getting ready at seven oh five. Throw on a shirt and get out there. They gotta prepare from lunchtime. They get it from lunchtime from yeah. the two weeks before. <laughs> You're buying the makeup. It's so expensive. It's expensive, and, man. Yeah. You know, we can do multiple shows a night. No, not for them. No. 
and they've got they've got multiple layers on as well that are holding bits in and then that bit's tucked under there and then that bit popped up inside and then that bit What's doesn't is it is like the least sexualized are like the 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 chance of them getting fucked that night zero <laughs> yeah. like comedians famously have sex with people on the road after shows yeah. maybe that's like an old 70s trope but like that can't happen for drag queens imagine it would i mean <laughs> i wouldn't go home with a drag queen because i don't i feel like i'd just be sucking on like salt you know <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to help them out of their things and I know. that would take ages you'd have to say listen we'll pick this up tomorrow when you've gone home this has to be there has to be a drag queen that has done a show met a cute guy went home with them we gotta, we you gotta get them on the pod and see what that experience. Find is. out the, how you how you manage. <laughs> how funny is it when you have to take off the, all the stuff to tr and still try to keep it sexy? Still try to keep it sexy, then you got to pop it back out with a spoon. <laughs> I don't know, it's a lot, and I, I, this is why they put so much. This is why I have so much respect for drag queens because they put so much, so much, it's so much effort to get to that point where they're so ultra glamorous and you just kind of i know the first time i saw a like, real fully fledged proper drag queen i remember just like i was in awe I'm like, man and yep. my brain was just spinning in its, in its dome just going ah, i'm having feelings man i'm having feelings and i don't know i can't comprehend what's going on and then you find out the amount of effort it took to get to that point and you're like fuck yeah it's a lot and then she paid me to suck my dick because this was at the bathhouse. And she paid no, me to suck my own dick. It would be enough of an art form just to get dressed up and all that stuff. Yeah. But you've got the lip syncing and the dancing and the comedy and the improv and all the different, the writing. It's so many different uh, skill sets. You know, yeah. I feel like. Well, maybe come maybe stand up is a lot of different skill sets. Yes. Depends on how you do it. There is, but I tell you, I get hot if I sometimes if I go on stage with my jacket on. Can you imagine having <laughs> to perform with all those layers? You've got all the pants and then the, the pantyhose and whatever else you've got on. And then the girdle and the bra and the thing and then the thing and that's pushed up and that's shut down and that's clamped in and that's that. And then you've got to go on and perform and like you say improvise and and be and be this ultra glamorous person meanwhile everything is shut down and your brain's just and you're trying you have to kind of separate yourself from what your body's going through mm -hmm. insane and this is this is really the first time i've thought about this now we're talking about it mm -hmm. fascinating I'm gonna have to talk to some yeah <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, it, it must be like, you know, we've all had uncomfortable experiences on stage, whether you, per, I don't know, forgot, maybe you forgot to eat dinner or like I'm diabetic. I've gone like low blood sugar, really high blood sugar on stage. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so it must be like that, but yeah. You know, there's just times where you have, you do have to do that. You have to separate your mind from your body and they just must be really good at that. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I, it's like, the, the mental agility that that must take. 
Yeah. Have you ever had a gig where you like, I don't know, just felt really uncomfortable on stage for some reason? Um, I feel like I, I, I'd say half the times I get on stage, I remember as soon as I got on stage, I forgot to eat dinner. <laughs> right, right, right. I, <laughs> well, I've made the mistake and I've, oh yeah, I suppose it's different, isn't it for you? You have to, you have to watch your blood sugar yeah, levels and things like that. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. I'll check it right now. Yes, please do. <laughs> 123. Is that good? That's great. Yeah, all right, cool. That's great. <laughs> so were you, were you born with diabetes? Yes, yeah. but it didn't like trigger in my body till like a year and a half ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. How so you, that, it's yeah. genetic and you're like born with it, but you don't know you have it until your pancreas stops working. Oh, shit. Randomly, for, for pretty much no reason. Anything can trigger it. Fuck. Did it, was it something, And did you become ill? Or did you kind of not feel right? Or what was happening? Yeah. Sorry. These symptoms are like uh, you are peeing a lot. You have a weird taste in your mouth. You're constantly tired. You have a headache. It's all the symptoms of just going really high blood, blood sugar. Mm. Um, and then over time, you start to lose weight and you can end up in something called DKA and end up in a coma. I, I did not. I luckily caught it before then, um, but it was pretty bad. And they brought me to the uh, ER and, you know, told me all these numbers. My A1C was 12. My blood sugar was in the 600s. And I was just like, cool. And they were like, bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> Right. I just, are you on medication now? Yeah. So I have my I have an insulin pump and I have a glucose monitor. Right. So the monitor was the thing on my phone that tells me my blood sugar and the glucose the insulin pump gives me insulin and I just got to match all my carbs. Anytime I have carbs, I need to uh, inject myself with insulin. Wow. And that, and how often do you have to inject yourself? Well, I have the pump. So the pump I have to put on my body with like a needle every three days. Okay. And once I do that, I don't have to inject myself, but I'm, I give myself insulin, I don't know, maybe like a dozen times a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it, you know, it's, some days are better than others. Ideally, you would just do it every time you have food, but, you know. Yeah. And do you have to watch what you eat? Yeah, yeah. You got to you got to match your carbs with your insulin. So it's just however much carbs you eat. Hmm. You know you you don't want to be eating pasta every meal because then you your blood sugar is just going to be all over the place and you're just going to be have to managing it every day. Yeah, or all day. Wow, man. Um, but there are days when I, you know, mostly eat keto, like low carb. Yeah, and. I don't have to manage it as much. Okay. So that's the thing. I've, I've only, I remember at school there was a guy called Jason West, and he was the first person I'd ever met that had diabetes. And I remember that he had, used to have like uh, biscuits, cookies with him all the time, just in case, yeah. just in case. And that, I'd never, I'd never experienced that before. And I, I'm like, wow, yeah. I know it's actually like I'm realizing how much money I've spent on because I. You know, you'll get better at it, but I'm still, I've only had this for 
I think it's a year and a half, maybe almost two years now, um, which is pretty new. My friend who's a type one diabetic and a stand up was like, well, it's like a, it's like a comic. If you see a comic who's less than two years in, you're like, you have no idea what you're doing, but I've been doing this for 12 years. Yeah. Know a lot more than you. So (laughs) I'll get better at it, but I always have to have like, like fast acting sugar. So, uh, candy, Skittles, um, Starburst is usually what I bring around. And then also like more complex carbs. So just different kinds of carbs for different situations. Mm. I'm constantly eating half a bar and then another half and then some Starburst all throughout the day. And I just have spent so much money <laughs> on candy and like like that's the most expensive part of diabetes. It's not the insulin. It's all the fucking Starburst you got to buy. <laughs> and the dental and floss. <laughs> and the day, yeah, I know. It is a lot. And, I, you know, these bodegas in New York do not are $7,000 for this much candy. Yeah, of course. Oh, man. See, there's the thing you don't, really, don't think about that. You've got to monitor it all the time. And you've got to have it just before you go on stage. Well, it depends on where my blood sugar is. Hmm. But the... I am paranoid of going low. Going high is like, it sucks. You can't quite think as well and you're tired and you often have a headache, but going low is like, you feel like you're about to die. Oh, wow. And you can't think. Like I, I like can't like when I go, it's like very foggy. So going low on stage, you can't like joke around it, but yeah. I've, I've been high on stage a lot. So be, because I'm sort of paranoid of going low, I overcorrect and I'm like, well, I'd rather be high than low. Yeah. I did a, I did a, it was just like a local news promo thing, but a, a, a TV interview where my blood sugar was in like the 300s, oh, which wow. is really, really high. Mm. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't know. It's just, this is crazy. I, I, you feel drunk when you're that high blood sugar. <laughs> well, having, as you've just shown me your numbers and you told me it was from that and now you're telling me it was 300 when you were, Jesus Christ, you must have been it's been climbing the walls at that point yeah it was pretty bad (laughs) well i'm glad we've got the numbers even for this chat because it's been brilliant sam thank you so much we'll see yep still good yeah man we nailed it well done sam um and your soho theater show starts uh may 17th may 17th the details have come up now along the screen there for the people watching on the video uh where can we find you on the social sam at Samuel H. Morrison. Excellent. Oh. Excellent. Yeah, it's all there, man. Comedian. I think the Facebook is wrong, but that's fine. Okay, we'll figure that out. But the comedian Sam Morrison TikTok? Yeah, it's the same on all of them. At Samuel H. Morrison. TikTok, cool. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Grinder. Okay, Grinder as well. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> hey, you got to get it all you can. You know, and if we can if we can facilitate anything like that, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, please. I mean, if I find my husband through Insane in the Membrane podcast, what that'd be a story. It would be a beautiful thing, and the first time ever. We've never done that yet. That'd be first class. You haven't put you you haven't put together soulmates yet. That's a little. Well, I'm not going to say red flag as a podcast, but <laughs> well, no one has said yet. All right. Well, I, I I'll try my best. We'll That'd see be if good. you listen to this, and you are 
a sexy daddy bear. <laughs> I mean, come to Soho and we'll see what happens. Yeah, man. And if you have found your true love through Insane in the Membrane, do let us know, and we'll, uh, that'll be great. We'd like that. Yeah, we'd like to. We'd like to find that. Uh, Sam, thank you so much, mate. Good luck with the show, Soho Theatre. As I said to you, it's a, it's a great venue. I had a really good time there. I know that you will as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a great time. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Good luck with the rest of your day. I'll go back to bed, do whatever you need to do. This has been Insane in the Membrane. I've been Rich Wilson. This has been Sam Morrison, and we'll see you next time. Insane in the Membrane. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production.